Um, If you've got a Bible, then turn please with me to uh, Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26. And I'm going to be reading from the the New International Version. Uh, and if uh, and I'd like us to read this together. So if you've got a new international version, uh, then please do read uh, that with me. If you've got about four other translations, then please don't read aloud um, for obvious reasons here. Okay, um, but nonetheless, I, I've uh, been where you are before, and someone has read a particular translation. I've had a different one. And I think that's great to have that opportunity to, 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 uh, to relate the two together. But if we're all able, with those of us with NIV Bibles, to read from verse 36, and then we'll see uh, what this passage has in store for us. Jesus in Gethsemane, beginning with these words. Verse 36. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, He fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Very powerful words. Isn't it good that the Lord never has to repeat himself to ourselves? Hmm. There was a book written by um, Andy Stanley called Communicating for a Change. And I want to read a, um, a paragraph from that book. Says the, he says these words, We all like to be comfortable. We all like to see that our desires and wants are met. And sometimes we don't care if others are inconvenienced or even hurt in getting those things met. It's not a natural reaction for us to consider that our desires and wants might actually be bad for those around us. 
And it's totally not natural for us to consider sacrificing our desires and wants for others. Especially if we think that those people aren't deserving of that sacrifice. For Jesus, on the other hand, this kind of thinking and sacrifice was part of his DNA from before the beginning of time. But that time came to the test in the hours just before he was arrested and crucified. And we've read that passage just now together and that's what we're going to spend a few moments looking at and then thinking about what might be the application for ourselves here uh, this evening and as we go on in our Christian lives. There's a lot that's written in the Gospels from the different Gospel accounts about what, oc- what occurred in that lead up in the journey to the cross and we get quite an accurate description. We're not always sure about what happened in what order and I don't think that's uh, always that import- important uh, but there is a sense of the Gospel writers compliment- uh, complimenting one another but I do believe that beyond us seeing what Jesus went through and what Jesus did and what actually occurred This is God's living word that is meant for ourselves to, yes, worship the Lord Jesus because of what he did. Yes, worship the Lord because God's word is true. But also there's something here that hopefully we can pick some nuggets out that the spirit of God, different for each one of us, will then lay something into our minds that, yes, God, you have shown me something else from this familiar passage and that would be uh, my prayer all three of those um, things Jesus had gone to the uh, Mount of Olives Uh, that's where he went and uh, if you can't see that in Matthew 26 that's because I've probably nicked that from one of the other gospels uh, that give us some pointers about what was occurring so Jesus went to the Mount of Olives as usual, it says in Luke 22. In other words, there was this special place that Jesus had uh, for prayer. I know some of you, because you've told me, have a special chair or a special place in your garden. Or there is a special place geographically, either in the forest uh, or looking out over the sea or whatever it might be, where you feel close to God and are able to commune with him. Jesus appears to have some form of special place, but he most certainly had a regular established routine. He went to the Mount of Olives as usual. And he tells his disciples, and that's Peter, James and John, because they were the sons of Zebedee, to stay somewhere while he prays. It's a kind of strange prayer meeting in a sense. We had one here uh, yesterday morning that was very different to a usual Saturday morning uh, prayer meeting, I have to say. And a real sense uh, of the Lord uh, amongst us. Not that that was different, but the... uh, it just had a different feeling uh, about it. But it, as we were, were journeying through to the back room, for someone there to have said, right, you guys stay here whilst I or we go through to do the praying would have been a bit strange. But for whatever reason, this is what Jesus is doing here. He wants some sense of support, but not directly with him. Luke, uh, again in chapter 22, says that Jesus withdrew. And as we've read, we read that at this moment Jesus is sorrowful and he is troubled. He tells them that his soul is overwhelmed with sorrow 
to the point of death. And he asks them to keep watch with him. He was the son of God, but expressing that sense of, I need you. I need you. There's something about the physicality of people around us, isn't there? And some of us who've been prayed for in that corner over there. And may well have had the same people or different people pray for us about a particular situation. But when we have someone by our side, stepping or trying to maybe step a little bit into our shoes, to empathise with us, hear us, and pray with us and for us, there's something of that support that we feel and benefit from, isn't there? And Jesus was wanting, needing that sense of Peter, James and John to just be with him in what was going to be a tough time for him. It's obviously not surprising how he was feeling. We know what was about to happen, don't we? We know the end of the story. He's just about to undergo torture and crucifixion, so we've got some very thrilling uh, um, weeks ahead of us. But he's also about to experience separation for the first time in eternity from his heavenly Father. Some of you here know the pain of separation from a family member. Uh, We had someone uh, here a few weeks back who we wouldn't have known that they'd not necessarily had uh, a great deal of contact, the two of them, uh, but they very proudly uh, said about, my daughter is here with me today. That mum and daughter haven't seen one another for three years. And I've subsequently picked up some of the pain of that. And some of you maybe can identify with that. But Jesus had been with the Father for all eternity. And he was getting closer to what was going to be a separation from Father. I have no idea what that must have felt like or what that was going to feel like. And I don't think any of us are able to understand that. But he is also, as we know, about to endure hell itself when taking the weight of human sin upon himself. And again, we don't really know what that could have possibly been like. John chapter 1 verse 29, we read, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And it's a celebratory statement. Hey, look, 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 look. But what must that weight of have felt like. Uh, we sometimes watch um, these um, uh, animal programs and um, fatal attractions, I believe it's called, is that right? Where different people maybe are into raising buffalo and just for the fun of it, because they, it's usually men, like the thrill of it, they like to step in with the buffalo and provoke the buffalo with maybe throwing a, a, a rubbish bin at them or whatever. And, and they, they, they say, oh, the, the, the buffalo isn't going to ever harm me because we've built up this friendship. But at the end of the day, a buffalo is a buffalo. And, you know, buffaloes can turn just like that. And from time to time, this a program, they normally have about three stories, and one of those three usually includes a fatality, and they portray the reconstruction of things incredibly powerfully. And we were hearing about one particular example of how uh, this, this man was crushed to death by his pet 
buffalo and the weight that the buffalo put upon this man's chest pounding and pounding and pounding I can't remember the size of it in terms of tons or how many cars it would have been like and you could see the crushing of the bones uh, afterwards um, that that would have been like that they'd reconstructed massive massive weight and we can see the awfulness of that that's just a snapshot of the weight in spiritual terms of what the Lord Jesus Christ took upon himself. We can't equate it to a buffalo or anything, but sometimes little snapshots of pictures help us to, to fully appreciate the degree of what Jesus went through for you and for me. And we're going to give him thanks that he did that later. He then falls face down. I wonder if you've ever been at a particular meeting and uh, it's a good worship service and whether or not the particular service is in a charismatic setting or a traditional setting where that sense of the Lord is so strong and as you look around you see someone who's obviously in connection with their Lord and they fall face down and we think Look at them, what a show off. Look at that, all that drawing attention to themselves. I wonder if we felt that about Jesus here. We've got to be careful, haven't we, when we jump to conclusions about how people are. There's something that is so strong that Jesus is experiencing that he falls, we read, face down. My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. He asked his father that he won't have to go through what he is about to go through, yet not as I will, but as you will. Maybe it's one of the only prayers that Jesus didn't get answered. It's a good job, isn't it? Just have a, let's just pause a minute, just press the pause button there, just think about it. What would have happened if that prayer got answered? Okay then, no need. Come on, back to glory. Okay, come on. What would have happened in terms of where you and I would have been in our state before a holy God? All the stories that we might then hear of heaven or hell, irrelevant, because there would have only been one story. We're on our way to a lost eternity, hell. Oh, but I'm quite a good person. Irrelevant. But I went to church. Irrelevant. But I listened to Roger's talks and thought he was quite good sometimes. Irrelevant. Had that prayer been answered? And yet Jesus added in as that appendum, but not as I will. I surrender my will to the will of the Father. And that's why he went through what he went through. And we need to be so grateful. Author Philip Yancey who wrote uh, an incredible book called, I think it's What's So Amazing About Grace, but in another article that he wrote for Christianity Today, he wrote these words. He said, When Jesus prayed to the one who could save him from death, he did not get that salvation. He got instead the salvation of the world. Jesus knew that before the next day was out, he would give his life on the cross. 
Luke then uh, says and adds in, we've got an addition really from Luke, an angel appeared to him and strengthened him, Luke twenty two forty three. And as a result of Jesus praying more earnestly, Luke writes, and bear in mind Luke was a doctor, he says his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. I'm probably going to pronounce this wrong, but there is a condition, a physical condition known as I've tried pronouncing this all day. (laughs) Hematidrosis. (laughs) H-E-M-A-T. Hematidrosis. Where there can can be hemorrhaging into the sweat ducts during periods of acute emotional stress. When that happens, the skin becomes fragile and tender. And capillaries just under the skin can dilate to such an extent that they burst, causing blood to ooze from the skin. Medical fact. Alongside this, I would add this. Even if that is not a medical fact, I trust what Luke says because he was inspired by the Spirit of God and it's in God's Word for you and me. We need to accept God's Word, don't we, without needing to explain it away, but it's a helpful, maybe, aside. So the disciples are asleep. Jesus is disappointed and the text implies that he'd only been an hour. I'm not very good for praying for long periods of time. I do quite a lot of this kind of prayer all through the day, but in terms of that lengthy time, well, I find that pretty tough. Okay if there are others around me for mutual support, but Peter, James and John, they nod off. Jesus commands them, watch and pray that you will not fall into temptation. Why? Because, as he adds, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus goes away a second time to pray to his father and they're asleep upon his return again. Mark highlights the disciples' embarrassment saying they did not know what to say to him. Have you ever been that sort of person or had someone feel like that? I'm off out now. Kids, when I get back, can you make sure the kitchen is clear? It's your mess. Dad goes out. Dad comes back. Guys, any idea what I mentioned to you just before I left in terms of the kitchen? And we then would read, they did not know what to say to him. (laughs) But here's grown adults. And maybe there are times where we feel like that before the Lord. Where we've let him down. And our conscience is pricked. And we know we can kind of get that sorted out by saying, sorry God, forgive me. But sometimes we feel such a failure that we failed yet again. And we just don't know fully what to say. Ever felt like that? You're in good company. So Jesus goes away a third time to pray. Guess what happens? You know what happens because we've already read it. They're asleep again. Then he knows his time has come. Look, the hour has come. Verse 45, and he predicts the arrival of his betrayer. And we'll be looking at that next week. The time Jesus most needed support was the time those closest to him let him down. Isn't it awful when we've had something put in our mind of a particular um, person... 
And, and I'll, I'll give you a, a testimony actually to this. This only happened this morning. Somebody's name popped in my mind from this church this week. And, and I thought, I, I don't know where the thought came from. I believe with hindsight it was probably the Lord's prompting. And I thought, that's a good point. I wonder how they're doing. I ought to contact them. I forgot. I did nothing. I spoke to that person this morning. They were here, which was great. They'd had a pretty pants week. How do you think I felt? That moment that maybe that person, not needed Roger, but needed someone. And I'd been one of those people that maybe the Lord had prompted. And I blew it. When we get those hunches, yes, it can be something from our own minds. There are times when the Spirit of God drops things into your minds. We're a church family. As brothers and sisters in Christ, if you get one of those seeds, let's encourage one another to act on that. I would rather contact somebody and get it wrong and somebody say, well, no, actually, I'm okay. That also occurred this week when I sent somebody a text and I spoke to them this morning. We didn't answer my text. They said, oh, I thought it was meant for someone else and you sent it to me by mistake. I said, no, I was wanting to know if you were okay. Oh, that's really nice. They said, yeah, I am. Let's act on what the Lord puts in our minds. John doesn't specifically record uh, the incidents of Gethsemane. Um, But we probably have a record of some of what he prayed in chapter 17. That's maybe taking a bit of a risk, I don't know. But he's there praying uh, for himself, his disciples and all believers. Um, It may well be that the focus that he had on those three areas might have represented the three times that he went away to pray. Or that may well have been on a different occasion entirely. I don't know. It may well be just speculation. It's always dangerous to build a theology out of uh, speculation. But when you're pouring over God's word, it's great to speculate and think, I wonder if that was kind of what was going on here. Helps us get under the skin of the passage. But what then do we have here that maybe the Lord is wanting to say to us? I hope there's been something already. By means of application, I want to suggest that we might consider to make two positive responses and that we ask ourselves three questions. And there are three questions that I've asked myself. (laughs) First of those two positive responses. Let's seek to build a routine for time alone with God. I've been trying to do that since the day I became a Christian. So let's just kind of you know, eliminate any guilt factor here for those of you who feel that you're not very good at that. I've been a Christian nearly 30 years now. That would be my top struggle since I got saved. For some of you, I know it's very easy and you struggle in other ways. We're all different. But nonetheless, there seems to me something quite striking about the Lord Jesus. We know elsewhere in Mark chapter 1 verse 35. Mark says very early in the morning while it was still dark Jesus got up, left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. He sought his father. Communion, one to one. So just because I struggle with it doesn't mean to say that I should think that's not very good for me to continue to uh, be, uh, nudge myself in that uh, direction. And Chris will tell you, before we got married, uh, certain things I put her away and I say, one of the things I want you to nag me about or encourage is my own one-to-one with the Lord. I know that that's a struggle for me. So Chrissy has a complete green light 
that on that front. And she's very gentle in the way that she would encourage that. She's also a lot better at it than I am. That's the first thing. Let's seek to build a routine for time alone with God. If we stop that routine, maybe the Lord's saying restart. If we've got dulled with our current routine, start something different. Secondly, let's be grateful that Jesus put his Father's will before his own. Otherwise we'd still be in need of a saviour. Otherwise we wouldn't be able to have communion this evening. Do you realise that? Because there'd be nothing to give thanks for, would there? Be grateful that Jesus put his Father's will before his own. Many of you will have taken bread and wine many, many times. But maybe this night, Give thanks to the Lord Jesus for that aspect of Gethsemane that he was prepared to sacrifice for you out of love. But here's three questions. Number one, are we letting Jesus down? I think we have to ask that. We've got here Peter, James, John, and they did let Jesus down. There's no two ways about it. We know We, we can't hide uh, from that. The Bible says that our Lord Jesus is now at the Father's side, interceding for us, praying for us. Jesus, Romans 8.34 says, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Is Jesus coming back time and time again, only to find us asleep? Only to find us dull to his word? Only to find that we are lost for words, not knowing what to say to him for the state of our own lives, for the state of our family, for the state of our community, for the state of our nation. And we were thinking about that yesterday morning. Are we letting Jesus down? And one of the impacts of yesterday morning was that sense where corporately as 13 people gathered, we felt we kind of connected and owned our nation's misery for where it's at spiritually. And it wasn't, God, forgive them out there, but God, would you forgive us? Didn't Nehemiah align himself with the people? God, would you forgive us for the state of our land and our nation? Are we letting Jesus down? Secondly, are we praying as we should? Am I praying as I should? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. How many of us have fallen because of the truth of that statement? In all different ways. The antidote to falling is surely to heed Jesus' encouragement to watch and pray. The spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. Jesus would have known that. And I know we've got a somehow reconcile his divinity with his humanity but that aspect of his humanity must have recognised that battles are won and lost in prayer which is what he does at Gethsemane are we praying as we should put on the full armour of God, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Put on the full armour of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then, we read 
in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 11 to 14. And that garden that was a place of suffering for Jesus became a, a, a place of strength. And that was as a result of prayer. Bruce Milne commenting about prayer says these words. He says, whilst a prayer can never be measured by mere quantity, it is generally true of the Western Church today that there is simply not nearly enough prayer. The exposition of the Word of God and prayer belong together. It is in prayer, costly, sustained and prevailing, that the Word of God is released through teaching and preaching. Prayer is the price of power, and the Church of Jesus Christ is not likely to recover its lost authority until this basic biblical truth is recovered. I found that quite challenging. And a final question. Are we willing to say to God... Not my will, but yours be done. It is a lot easier to project onto the Lord what we would like to see happen and then ask that it would be his will. (laughs) As opposed to ask him what his will is and then when it's revealed to have the grace and the courage to do it. And there's going to be crossroads for us. Some of you are in a crossroads, I guess, right now. Maybe in ways that others don't know here. And it's at that crossroads that we need to then adopt those words that Jesus spoke for your and my behalf. Not my will, but yours be done. This is what I'd rather happen, Lord, but your will be done. And you could think of all sorts of illustrations. I thought about illustrating it in different ways. and I thought it would all be too pointed. So I'm going to just leave that to apply to yourselves, to apply to your own situation. Let's pause as maybe each of us think of a question or concern or prayer need. And allow us the time to lay something before the Lord and say, Not my will, but yours be done. then in surrendering that to you Lord we ask for your gift of faith and of courage to do that which you are asking of us in Jesus name Amen